Amen. And hallelujah. Thank you for that. A couple of weeks ago, I received a phone call from the organizer of our network of sanctuary congregations, Omar Angel Perez. And Omar called asking if I was available to, to share a meal with a group of DACA recipients or dreamers who had been fasting all week in protest of the president's decision to rescind DACA. And I said, of course, I would be honored to, to join them as they broke their fast. So at about 6 p.m. on Friday, we gathered not too far from here to pray with the dreamers and to sing and to say a blessing upon their fast, that their fast might change some hearts, that it might encourage others to greater sacrifice for the cause. And then we sat down together and we shared a meal The dreamers took their first bite of food in several days. It's powerful to witness and to share the first meal of someone who, by conscience, hasn't eaten for days. After we shared dinner, we we told stories around the table and, and talked about the work that lay ahead of us, and then we said goodbye. And walking home that night, I realized that You know, it had been a long week of of protests around and and lobbying around DACA. um, But that for me, and I suspect for many others, the highlight of that week-long protest was that shared meal on Friday night. Though many of us around the table were strangers, the movement had brought us together for an important cause, and our sense of solidarity with one another was confirmed by breaking bread with one another. We were compañeros y compañeras, right? Con y pan, people who share bread together. It reminded me of a moment from the Easter story. After Jesus has risen from the grave, he meets his disciples on the road to Emmaus, but they don't know who he is. They can't recognize him. And so they go along the road walking and talking for quite a while, still no recognition. They don't recognize Jesus until they sit down and share a meal with him. And then the Bible says, he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. There was a sense in which the people who gathered for that meal two Fridays ago, we were made known to one another in the breaking of bread together. We were revealed to one another, not merely as partners in a struggle, but as something more intimate than that. And for me, that shared meal reminds me that there are moments in our collective work for justice when a space opens up and we have an opportunity to experience what I think of as religious transformation. In progressive circles these days, I hear this phrase a lot. It's not just a moment, it's a movement. Have some of you been hearing that phrase lately? 
as large crowds turn out for marches like the Women's March or at airports for, to protest the president's travel ban, activists caution us, look, don't be lulled into complacency because of good turnout at one event. We've got some organizing to do to accomplish our objectives, and we need to use the energy of the moment to build a lasting movement for justice and equality. That's what folks mean when they say it's not just a moment, it's, it's a movement. And of course they're right. And what I want to say today, here's what I want to say today. If we show up in the moment and we stick around and sacrifice for the movement, then we open ourselves up to the possibility of an even deeper transformation of our hearts and our souls. As we do the work of justice, there's something at stake for our souls. And for me, what's at stake has something to do with the question that each of us must answer. Who are my people? Who are my people? Let me share a story that I hope illustrates more concretely what I'm trying to get at. Some of you know that a few years back I helped create a, a clergy, a group of DC clergy who helped lead the struggle for marriage equality here in the district. And that my co-chairs in that effort were a black clergy couple Dennis and Christine Wiley, who lead Covenant Baptist Church east of the river. De Dennis, in fact, was here preaching here this summer, so some of you may have uh, met him then. But I'll never forget a story that Dennis Wiley shared with some of us as we gathered after the victory for marriage equality here in the district, and we shared kind of what we'd learned and some of the highlights of that movement. Dennis told a great story. He told the story of the rally the night before the last council, city council vote on marriage equality. It was, so it was our final rally. It was at Kennedy Rec Center uh, over in Shaw. And the place was packed with a really diverse audience, people of different races and cultures and from every ward in the city. But most of the people in the room, let's face it, were lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer folks who were there to rally for marriage equality. Nonetheless, we had asked Dennis, the straight black Baptist preacher, to finish up that rally like only a Baptist preacher can. So he was our closing speaker that night. And at the end of the night, he stepped up into the lectern to speak. And as he told the story later, he, he says this. He said, you know, I got up to speak and I looked out at this beautiful sea of faces, these people I'd worked together for so, worked with for so many months, all of whom were waiting for me to speak a word of hope. And I realized, said Dennis, that my whole life I'd been told that these beautiful people were not my people and that I had nothing to do with them as a straight, black, male, Baptist minister. All my life, I'd been told they were not my people. 
But that night, Dennis said, I remembered a story of when Jesus is sitting with his disciples, people with whom he had built and shared a movement, after all. And someone interrupts Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, your family is waiting for you outside. And Jesus says, no, this is my family, pointing to his disciples. And Dennis said, I realize that through this struggle, my understanding of who my family is has grown. And that has, that has been the greatest gift of this struggle for me, he said. Who are my people? A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon in which I answered questions from the congregations that, that had been submitted by all of you. And, and someone asked me this question, Rob, what is family? And what does it have to do with faith? And I responded that day, and I say again today, that that question, what is family? Who is my family? Who are my people? is perhaps the most important religious and moral question that we can ask ourselves today. Because to know who our people is, is to know in large part who we are, isn't it? Because our people or our family refers to those to whom we feel a certain duty and, and responsibility and care those to whom we feel morally and ethically accountable. So it says a lot about how and for whom we will show up in the world. When the 19th century Unitarian leader William Ellery Channing asked himself that question, who is my family? He answered, I am a living member of the great family of all souls. Now that's some Unitarian family values right there, right? <laughs> he didn't say some souls. He didn't say white souls or black souls. He didn't say rich souls or poor. He didn't say just souls with a PhD. And at some point, the people of this church thought that that affirmation was important enough that we named the church after it, right? All Souls Church. Now, to be frank with you, I'm not sure it's possible for most or even some of us to experience the kind of universal siblinghood that Channing speaks of. That is a big stretch of our moral imaginations. Like many religious values, it may be an ideal that is always just out of our grasp, something that we are always striving for but never quite attaining. But I will say this, if every day we can wake up and say, these are my people, and if every day we can include at least one person more, then we are on the right path. We're on the path to a spiritual and moral change of heart.
And I will testify that, that my understanding of who my family is has expanded precisely through shared struggles for justice, through marching together and breaking bread together, through showing up in the moment and sticking around and sacrificing for the movement. And that's why, for me, solidarity isn't just a smart political strategy. It is a spiritual discipline, one of the most important spiritual disciplines we can practice today. Friends, we live in a world where powerful forces are trying to divide and conquer us, right? We are being torn apart, and members of our community are being attacked. And now, more than ever, we need to stand with one another and show up for one another. And so I ask you today, friends, who are your people? Who is your family? For whom will you show up in these times of division and fear? In this moment, that is the most fundamental question that we face. One day, a group of students asked the rabbi how to tell the difference between night and day. How they could identify that precise moment at dawn when the night ends and, and day begins. And one student asked, is it that moment when you can see an animal in the distance and you can tell if it's a, a sheep or a dog? Rabbi said, no. Is it when you can look at a far-off tree and you can tell whether it's a fig or a peach? No, said the rabbi. Then tell us, rabbi, how can you tell when the night has ended and the morning begun? And the rabbi replied, it's when you can look at the face of any person and see there your brother or your sister, your sibling. That's how we'll know when a new day has begun. May it be so. Amen.